strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. So rock on. Hi, everybody. Um, Varun, welcome, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy that it's, well, today is Thursday, but depends on what day you watch this episode. Could be any day for you, but I am super excited to talk to today's guest. I know you are too. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's a writer. He's a designer, a project manager, a copywriter, a salesman, um, among a dad, among a few other things, I'm sure that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, he's the co-founder and CEO of Barrel, Peter Kang. Welcome to the show, Peter. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Varun. Great to be here. So we'll start off our conversation with our usual question, which is what myth do you want to smash, bust, what misconception, bogus strategy do you want to eradicate or set the record straight on? What do you got? What do you want to clear up? Yeah, um, clear up. I mean, you know, there's many things, but the thing that came to mind here is actually something that's been driving me nuts for the last 15 years. It's uh, so our company name is Barrel, mm -hmm. but you know, you won't believe how many times we get referred to as Barrel NY uh, because obviously that's the URL. Um, I've been trying my hardest to get Barrel.com over the years. Uh, you know, I always reach out to the park domain owner asking, "Hey, can I buy this for a few hundred bucks? Uh, can I buy for a few <laughs> thousand bucks?" And every every year it's gone up a little bit, and every year the answer is the same: we're not interested in selling. So I don't think I'll ever get to Barrel.com, but. Um, but the name of the company is Barrel, not Barrel and Y. I hope we can clear that up uh, for folks uh, out there. That's a good one. Now, I, I don't think I ever looked up Barrel.com to see who currently owns it. Doesn't It doesn't look like they're using it. It looks like it's a placeholder. That's yeah. so frustrating. I know. <laughs> Have you ever successfully, you know, purchased a URL from somebody else in the past for anything, for any of your initiatives? Uh yeah, from, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, just, uh, and, you know, nothing kind of uh, crazy, but for, for certain clients, we've uh, like helped broker, you know, just going through the GoDaddy's brokering services to buy domains for, you know, a few thousand bucks or things like that. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's something that nobody talks about, but everyone has to deal with at some point. And I'm completely off topic here, but because you brought it up, you know, it's, it's like, it's one of those stressful things. Cause you really, it's such, like such an emotional purchase to go in and say, I want that name. I want that to be my identity. And when you don't get it, it's like, crap, like, what's my plan B? What do I do now? Like, how do I rethink this? It's so disappointing sometimes. And it can be stressful. Even rethink your business name. Why, why is barrel.com so important to you? I mean, I can relate to that just because we started this brand called Together. We did not get the domain together.com. We have togetherweship.com, but we call ourselves as Together. Um, I wonder, you know, you know, the domain for you, battle.com, is that very emotional decisions that you need to take? Um, you know, maybe uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like super emotional or anything. It's more like, um, I think having Barrel NY be the, um, domain name um, just confuses what you know people 
typically just look at the URL and that's the name of your um, company. I don't know if anyone ever called you guys together we ship uh, as the company, but yeah, <laughs> for some reason the NY just kind of become has become like you know just a, a thing that has been tough to shed. So I, I think just in response to that, um, you know th that's why I'd love to uh, yeah one day still get barrel.com. It's a good URL too. I feel like as more people launch websites, I, I hope that you know the two like you can name your company whatever you want as long as it's available you know whatever the government says and how you register your name and all that fun stuff but you know the url it is a, it's a funny little challenge it's like a funny you have to it takes there's been a couple companies i've been involved in recently that we debated going okay what are we going to call this thing oh is the url available and it wasn't or a version of it wasn't but you can get the dot co or the dot whatever you know dot net or dot what you know other combinations and but it's like there's something about the dot com you just want that want that little bugger so yeah i think still it's standard creative <laughs> agencies are the marketing agencies that make a big deal of it i think i mean for us for me it never cared about it you know, but anyways, let, let's, let's get off this topic. <laughs> okay. Let's not talk about domains anymore. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about Peter. I think, you know, normally we start off talking about your agency and what you do, but actually I, I want to start off by talking a little bit about hearing from you a little bit about your history and how you got into this, how you got into running barrel. Um, you, you know, your path, like many of ours is not a straight line. Um, you know, and as a, a prolific writer on your blog too, it's been interesting prior to our conversation, just reading about some of your insights there. But I'd love to kind of have you walk us through maybe in a quick rundown, you know, tell us how you got here. How'd you, how did you end up starting Barrel? What's your, your, your yeah. track record, your, your <laughs> um, bio, I guess is the right word, not track record. <laughs> yeah. You know, it started, um, I'd say, you know, this, a lot of it started very early. Um, so, you know, my, um, just growing up, uh, you know, in elementary school, like my, my father had uh, bought me a computer and, you know, kind of got me exposed to, um, you know, just how to use a computer really early on. And, um, you know, part of the thing that I picked up on was like desktop publishing. So back in the day, you know, pre-internet um, and, uh, you know, just uh, even, you know, websites or anything like that, um, I was really into making um, newsletters, uh, you know, for my friends at school. So I would uh, design. So, you know, and I used to run my first kind of uh, attempt was in like sports. Um, you know, I was a big, and still am a big sports fan. And, and I used to, you know, just like I would read articles in the New York Times, um, watch ESPN, and I would just write my own articles about games and things that happened to my favorite teams. And, you know, usually they were like the Knicks or, you know, I think the Florida State Seminoles were also my favorite college football team. So I would just write articles and then just put it together in a little thing. And, you know, my, my dad, um, he had like a photocopier at home um, and we had, you know, computer with printer. Um, so I had the tools to make these things. You know, I'd cut out pictures from New York Times and put it in my magazine, make photocopies of it, bring it to my friends at school and just like give them out. And, you know, that was that was kind of the start of like, hey, there, you know, with the computer, I can do a lot of cool things. Um, and, you know, that kind of kickstarted just the, uh, uh, you know, just all, a lot of these adventures. And, you know, when when I discovered kind of internet, you know, starting with like online uh, bulletin board services uh, early on, and then kind of moving on to AOL and all those things, like, I just, 
was always fascinated at like what you could do in, in, in a lot of these uh, places. And, you know, once I learned how to make a website on a web browser, that really, you know, kind of unlocked a lot of creativity. I ran um, a website for my friends, you know, at first it was like uh, kind of funny things like, oh, nicknames for each other. I would just like make a little web page, and, you know, kids would just go on it and just have a good laugh. Uh, and then over time it like evolved to other things. Like I'd, uh, publish like little study guides for tests and then put it up on my website and get a lot of traffic. And, you know, back in the days you could see the counter, uh, kind mm -hmm. of, uh, racking up and stuff on, on the site. So that was really cool. And then I, I started running a teen magazine in high school as well. Um, where like, you know, we'd publish, you know, uh, about half a dozen articles and like, you know, on different topics that are important to teens, uh, and then have themes every month and ran that for like two years, a good two years. And so that was, that got me exposed to a lot of things like how to, you know, it was writing, it was editing, it was, you know, just kind of coming up with uh, brainstorming different ideas, uh, a graphic design, because I had to illustrate the cover art, uh, as well as um, the website, uh, you know, I had to learn HTML, I had to like learn how to like deploy the site and all those things. So uh, just all, all that experience drove kind of my interest in, in, in this area. Um, and, and so, you know, just going into college, uh, you know, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the skills I had gained, um, you know, throughout my uh, early years, uh, it, it really kind of coalesced into um, where, um, you know, I, I became president of a cultural, uh, uh, you know, cultural group uh, on campus uh, called the Korean Students Association. Um, and, you know, at that time, I, I, you know, I, I was a junior, and then um, there was like a freshman that had joined the club as well. Uh, and uh, that, uh, his name was Sewook, and uh, that ended up becoming my co-founder in Barrel. But the two of us teamed up, and it was really, it was really cool because like, you know, I had kind of, uh, you know, like made a mark with this uh, club. I mean, it's just a club on campus, but like I made a website that was like really fantastic. It someone was like, oh, it looks like a corporate like website with all this cool content and stuff, whatever. Um, but like, and so that attracted a lot of like, you know, folks to join and everything. And then, so this guy Seawook joins and, uh, you know, I was like, and I learned he knows how to make websites too. And I'm like, hey, you and I are going to do some cool things together in this club. Um, and, you know, we ended up like really using the club as a vehicle to express so many of our creative kind of um, you know, ideas, which, you know, we did, you know, like there were these tentpole events throughout the year, you know, like kind of like autumn festival, kind of like uh, collaborations with other culture groups. And we used our understanding of, you know, design, kind of branding, uh, all the web stuff to like market the hell out of these events. And then not only that, we kind of, you know, used some club funds to like rent expensive camera equipment at the time, you know, like DSLRs, which were like rare back then, take amazing photos, use that, and then kept document everything. So by the end of the, uh, you know, our first year of collaboration, we had amassed like a portfolio of like, hey, all these amazing events that we did, all this impact that we had on the campus. And, you know, we, we nominated and won like a very prestigious uh, award that's usually goes to like the, the, um, the government councils, you know, the student government councils, you know, because they have like millions of dollars in budget. We're talking about tens of thousands of this dinky, you know, kind of cultural club outsize impact because we knew how to market ourselves. We knew how to leverage technology. We knew how to get the word out. And that was the start of a beautiful relationship that still continues to today, where the two of us were like, even after the whole uh, cultural club uh, stuff, uh, uh, you know, was over, we're like, hey, let's continue working together on projects. And so we would uh, collaborate on freelance website projects. Um, and, you know, during this time, uh, I ended up getting an internship at the NFL. Uh, and, you know, and that's, a, you know, that's also a story that was kind of fortuitous in, in many ways. 
because that summer I had so desperately wanted to go into advertising. I was like, oh, that is my destiny. I need to go into advertising, try to get internships. I applied to dozens of internships, rejected from all of them. And, you know, last, last um, chance was like, hey, there's this weird um, HR internship at the NFL. I'm like, HR, I don't want to do HR. But then it was, the description was like, hey, they're doing something web related, web project related. And so they, they were, I was like, oh, okay, I have some qualifications to do that. I applied, I got in. And what that project ended up being was they were looking for, and which was, I was, you know, kind of, I was kind of baffled later on because I was like, hey, they're looking for an intern to kind of design and run their uh, kind of like conceptualize their internal uh, intranet uh, for the, for a company of, you know, 300 plus people at the corporate offices. I was like, what, you know, it's kind of like, but then I was like, oh, I'm up for the challenge. And, and, you know, like I, I just like really owned it. And I was like, you know, like they, you know, they were, they were thinking that I would just kind of like do some research and maybe kind of like, you know, come up with some best practices. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to design this, mock it up and then circulate it. And what happened was like the designs made their way to, you know, folks in the executive leadership. And that brought heat on the IT team to then be like, Hey, you got to work with this intern to get this to look like what, whatever he's just mocked up. And so that I really became an owner of that like internet project. I mean, mind you, I was getting paid like 12 bucks an hour, but um, you know, as an intern, but still like, I was like, this is an opportunity of lifetime. And it was, uh, it was awesome. Like, you know, by the end of the, um, uh, you know, end of my internship, like we launched this thing, got a personal um, thank you card from the commissioner at the time, Paul Taglebu, and, you know, still have it. it. It was like, he just like, Hey, I heard that you, you know, you had a big hand in kind of the success of our, you know, intranet, um, you know, just really want to thank you. And, you know, just, that just gave me more confidence. I was like, yeah, I could do this at a, you know, at a, at a company like this, you know, I feel like there's a future here. So anyway, I actually ended up passing my internship and this is crazy. Cause like, usually it, it has to go through like a whole rigorous hiring process, but then I, I had kind of want so much credibility in that role. I was able to pass that internship to Sewu because he's younger. So I was like, Hey, why don't you just take over the reins here? You can, <laughs> you can take over. And then, and so he, he ended up holding on to that internship, uh, uh, for 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 the duration of his time at at, uh, at school. So, anyway, um, fast forward, uh, you know, a couple of years. You know, I, I had to graduate, um, and the thing was like, say we can always want to do things together. And I was like, hey, I'm graduating first, a couple years older, gonna go work in work first, in, you know, get a job first, and and you know, uh, attending Columbia University at the time, you know, there's really you know, two things that you really apply to investment banking or consulting. I think this, this is like, uh, uh, you know, unless you go to graduate school, those are kind of the paths. So yeah, I decided to go the investment banking route. Um, you know, I had never taken a class in economics or anything, but just, you know, agree some um, connections, relationships I had and just got, got in front of the right people and was able to land a job at Lehman Brothers, which, you know, at the time was a prestigious uh, investment bank, no longer around, uh, you know, uh, after the great financial crisis, but, um, good stories know, there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Um, I, I, you know, I got into a group, uh, that, you know, actually was working on, uh, you know, collateralized debt obligations, the CDOs, the, the, the very things that, you know, was a big part of the, the crisis <laughs> cause, cause of the crisis, but, uh, you know, just got first front row seats into like a lot of the dynamics that play there of like, you know, all these mortgages, how you're packaging them and how, you know, and then you know, selling them to investors, like they were, you know, bulletproof AAA uh, bonds. Uh, so just learned a lot, um, met a lot of great friends there as well. Um, and then 
Um, but then, you know, I knew like while I was there, I was like, Hey, this is temporary. Like, you know, the, as soon as I can, I'm, I want to go and start my own thing and do go back to what I really love, which is web and all those things. And, and during that time, mind you, I was working, um, you know, hundred hour weeks sometimes, you know, it was, you know, investment banking hours are tough. You get, you know, when you get off at nine o'clock on a Friday, that's a good, uh, that's an early, uh, <laughs> end to the uh, day. And then, you know, you, you just hope that, you know, weekends, you're not there the whole time. Um, and so what would happen is they and I developed the habit of, uh, you know, every Fridays, um, I get out at nine, um, from, uh, Lehman and we'd meet at my apartment. Um, I was living like around times square at the time. Say we would come down from Columbia and we'd just meet at my apartment and we'd jam on making websites all Friday night till Saturday morning, just pulling all nighters. There's, you know, uh, guzzling Dunkin' Donuts coffee and just like, you know, jamming on um, like whatever projects we could get, like pro bono stuff for nonprofits, like stuff we're getting paid a few hundred bucks for, whatever it was. We just want, we just love getting the reps and the creative, you know, just the freedom of just making stuff together. How did you find those clients in the beginning there? You know, like, how are you going about? A lot of it was just word of mouth. Cause remember it, during um, my school years, like I had done freelance work and a lot of it was for like uh, clubs on campus um, a lot. Of, and then we had some artists that we were doing, like an, like a friend's aunt needed something done or like, you know, uh, somebody, some, somebody that we had met at like an event that needed something done for their nonprofit. So it was just like, you know, the answer was always, yes, we could do it. Um, you know, do you have budget? No. Okay. We'll still do it. You know, it, just, it didn't matter. We just wanted to get the, build a portfolio and just kind of have, have the experience. Um, so, you know, we, we, we went hard and, and, you know, by the time I quit, so I waited for uh, the bonus to come out, you know, investment banking, a bunch, most of your comp is in the form of, of an end of year bonus. Um, so when I, when I got that number and knew when that was going to hit my bank account, I was like, okay, let's lay the, lay the plans. And, and literally the day after it hit my bank account, I went in and I, I, I resigned and also said, Hey, I don't want to like, I know I should, you know, typically give notice, but I already like, did all the transitioning prior to this. So I can just leave today and not come back. Um, and, you know, uh, I was clear to just leave at that point. And, and that was actually the start of uh, a barrel. So at that time, you know, so towards the end of that, um, Sioka and I were like, hey, let's, I think we need to incorporate, we can have a, um, you know, we can do this thing where it's like design, websites, okay. branding, can let's I call it barrel. The, can I ask a question right here? Yep. Why? In this, why would you leave the job in investment banking, minting money? Like people in investment banking make, I assume, like a lot of money. To start the, your own business risks all your, you know, uh, safety net in in the in the job industry and start our entrepreneurship, like start something new and take that risk. Where did that courage come from? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know maybe part of it was just the way I grew up and like, you know, just the desire to like, you know, I've always felt like I've uh, created my own um, lanes of like, you know, being able to do what I want to do and like, you know, just express myself creatively in different ways. And I think, um, you know, just working in finance as enlightening and like educational as it was, you know, there was still like, you know, you have to like sit for, you know, eight, 10 hours a day and massage a PowerPoint to the satisfaction of someone above you. And like, you know, it's just like, that's, you know, there's some, there's some value to that where you learn. I mean, I learned a ton about like being detail oriented. I don't, you know, like I'm a stickler for like, you know, like uh, formatting and like Excel and things like that. But um, 
you know, at the end of the day, it's like, is this, you know, like what amount of money really is, is worthwhile for me to do something where I'm not like fully engaged in the work, like to the extent that I would be if I was doing my own thing. Um, I think, uh, and so I, I, I felt it was like my nature to just like, hey, uh, you know, why don't, I, why don't I give this a try? And like, hey, worst case, like I could just find another job. I'm young, you know, I was 23 at the time. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that was, you know, kind of encouraging in the, in the sense that like, and, and also like, look, the bonus was big. Like I could live off that for at least a year. Um, so, you know, like that was, that was the, that was also a buffer to giving me that courage to start. Do you feel like your experience in that industry helped, you know, if you didn't have do the investment banking component of it? would you have been as successful as you are today with where you were with Barrel? Like, was there a confidence build out of that? You know, it's, it's graduation time right now. When, I don't know when people are watching this, but um, you know, it, does it give you, it, it, a lot of people will just jump right in without any sort of work experience, I guess is the, the kind of crux of my question. Do you feel like that helped? Yeah. Um, I don't, I honestly don't know because I think there are some things that there's pros and cons to that experience. So I'd say, you know, the, the pros were like, Hey, yeah, I learned to like, you know, I probably had no idea what being detail oriented meant until I really worked at an investment bank and you, mm -hmm. you really do that. Um, I think, I think I built a ton of stamina on like, Hey, like you can, I can work like a workhorse. Um, uh, and, and also like just, you know, being in a corporate environment and seeing like how there's like, clear organizations to things was, was helpful to see, mm -hmm. but, but then I'll, there were also like some really, you know, kind of negative things that I learned from it that, um, you know, it, it would take years to kind of shed or like unlearn, which was like, you know, this idea of like, you have to burn the midnight oil and like, you have to work a lot of hours. And the first, you know, I'd say the first several years of barrel, like I worked like a banker, like I worked hundreds of hours, you know, like a hundred hours plus a week sometimes. And like, just did not let up because I was like, Hey, this is what success is, and, you know. Like I modeling it after an investment bank, and that, you know, that was no good. Um, and then also just like this idea of like, you know, kind of like a, a fear-based like don't you can't mess up uh, kind of work environment because you know so much of like banking is about you know and, and at the time maybe things have changed uh, since, but like so much of it is like you don't want to screw up because you're gonna look bad, and people are gonna make sure you look bad if you mess up, they're going to catch every mistake you make and make others know that you made that mistake. So it's like, and make a big deal of it. And, and it's not, you know, you get, you get reamed down in front of other people, you get like, you know, just kind of called out for stuff. And it's like that culture of fear, uh, that, that permeates, uh, you know, uh, is, you know, was something that like, I was like, Oh, that's the normal way to do work. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, that, that carried out in negative ways when later, you know, we'd hire people and just like, you know, you kind of think that that's the normal way to manage folks. And, you know, it took some doing to unlearn that. So as you guys, you know, as you started Barrel, let's, let's talk about Barrel for a little bit. You know, you guys, you guys, based on our intro conversation, you know, you love to hear a little bit about how you structure things, how you manage operations, because you, you know, got some interesting ways of doing that, you know, the delivery of work, how things are structured internally. Talk to us a little bit about kind of how you guys do what you do so efficiently and so well. Give us, give us some tidbits there, and, how, and you, how you, you make it work. And you do a lot of stuff, like, you know, you seem to yeah. be full service, you know, I would love to know like, where your niche is, like who you 
sir, where, how you differentiate from us? Because you are like strategy, design, development, marketing, everything. People are trying to, you know, do one thing and then, you know, figure out wh where they want to go in terms of what their specialty is. So I would love to know more about, you know, how that all connects as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we're talking about a lot is like, uh, you know, just how are we positioned um, and what are, what are kind of our specialty areas? Um, so, you know, the way we think about um, Barrel is, you know, really we're, we're, we're a company that helps brands, you know, scale and optimize the, their direct to consumer experiences. Um, and so what, what I mean by that is, you know, I think, you know, especially, uh, you know, in the past uh, few years, like we've seen brands kind of, um, and, and a lot of it's inspired by these like digitally native brands, uh, like the Warby Parkers and the Caspers of the world that like have shown, Hey, like when you, when you go like direct to consumer through digital channels and you can, you know, kind of really control that experience, make it, you know, better than maybe if they were buying it at, you know, uh, a retailer, uh, a mattress shop or whatever it is. And, and, and kind of create, you know, uh, some favorable economics as well as like, you know, uh, uh, win a loyal customer for life. So, you know, I, I think, so for us, we, we realized, okay, like this is going to be the trend slash, like, this is a reality, like more and more brands, you know, even like, you know, a, a brand, let's say like a sneaker brand that might have traditionally sold that footlocker uh, only, or, or other like uh, retailers, they're going to want to, you know, with e-commerce, want to have a direct to consumer um, channel and relationship that, that is going to be important. So uh, we, we decided to go all in on that and, you know, really focus in, you know, part of it was, Hey, like our Shopify work. So the e-commerce platform Shopify is where we've seen a lot of growth and we're like, Hey, let's lean into that more and, and do more of that. Cause that's where a lot of the direct consumer action is happening. Uh, but beyond that, like we realized there's complementary services um, because the, the same brands are going to need to go deeper into email. Um, and so, you know, our CRM practice has been growing because we're, we're talking not only about email marketing campaigns, but also like, hey, SMS, uh, how are they segmenting their list? How are they building loyalty over time? Um, and then, and then I'll, another component is uh, paid marketing. We're like, hey, we need to drive traffic to the website. How are we doing that through, you know, paid channels like Facebook and Google? Uh, and, and so, you know, really it's four pillars, um, just the, the three that I talked about, web, uh, CRM paid, and then branding is a big part of it. And along, uh, you know, branding obviously is, you know, how, how are we kind of thinking, uh, how are we, the, the, about the messaging, the tone, the, uh, you know, the visual uh, identity system, as well as like, the, you know, the look and feel of the content that comes with, uh, comes with uh, everything that we need to do at different channels. So that it, it's really simple there. And then we do have like four verticals where the majority of our business comes from. And, and you know, it's, it's beauty, skincare, um, you know, consumer packaged goods, CPG, fashion apparel, and home goods. And like, you know, really within those, there's several brands that we work with uh, and, and go deep on um, and providing some or all of the services I talked about. Uh, but, you know, really it's, it's all with like this direct-to-consumer focus. You know, we're, we're not really, you know, working on like with CPG on like what their retail strategy is or anything, but, but if they have their own e-com site, they're selling directly to clients that we're there and we're trying to help them with that. So uh, that's interesting. And going back to just these questions on how you operate, because what you are saying is you have like four lines of services, four pillars, and they all work kind of independently or how do, how have you structured them? Because 
I understand some company, you know, may come to you and they may want to do all of that start from beginning, but some may already have part of that figured out. They may just come to you for, let's say, you know, paid marketing. So operationally, how do you, do you like target for different service differently to your audience or you go for everything at one shot? Like, and how do you operate in terms of who your department heads are like assume they take the ownership yep. and then they go on and build that department is that how you're structured yeah so let's say to answer that in kind of two parts the uh, the first part is how we you know handle it on the business uh, development side um we and a lot of times you know i mean most most of our thing you know new business is kind of uh, through inbound and you know the leads that come in and we're as we're qualifying we kind of understand like you know, there's usually some something specific that you know uh, folks want or need. Um, a lot of times, it it, it does uh, start with like, hey, we need a new website, uh, or hey, we need to improve our e-commerce website. Uh, that's I'd say that's like, you know, in many sense, our, our bread and butter and, and the way we lead uh, with a lot of the uh, the new work. Um, so, you know, as we as we kind of close those deals, um, you know, part of our sales process is you know making it clear to the prospect that, hey, like there are these other things that we also do and there are benefits to those things. Um, you know, and sometimes the clients are like, hey, that sounds great. I'll take the paid marketing and the CRM stuff as well and let's package it together. Other times it's like, hey, we got those things covered. You guys just focus on the web and that's fine. But that's still an entry point because later if we do an outstanding job and you know, sometimes there's opportunities where it's like, hey, we're, we're thinking about making a switch on the paid marketing side. Do you guys want to be considered for that? I know you guys do it too. We throw our hat, hat in the ring and increase the footprint there. So um, I'd say we lead with, you know, and, and we've led with, with, you know, each one of these pillars, uh, you know, service offering pillars where, you know, sometimes we enter with paid marketing and end up with the website redesign. Sometimes we end uh, start with branding and we might actually end up doing the website redesign as well. So it gives us a flexibility and we're not always about, you have to do everything with us uh, all the time. Um, and then on the operational side, how the team is structured. So, you know, this, as we've kind of really solidified our service offering and like kind of uh, done a better job of articulating it, we've had to make some changes structurally. And, you know, some of this stuff is still in flux. I mean, you know, to be completely honest, it's like, you know, there's been some challenges on like, hey, like certain uh, parts of uh, the company operate more in silos. So as a result, we've had to make some moves to consolidate that. Um, and and so, so as it stands, you know, uh, today, the way that we decided to do it is really uh, bucketed into like, you know, two big areas. One is the creative marketing um, services group, which, you know, is headed by uh, one of our partners, um, uh, who's a chief experience officer, Lucas Valsi. Um, and then the technology services group, which is headed by our CTO, uh, Wes Turner. And so the, the two of them within it, and so that's kind of like, they're overseeing uh, a portfolio of different uh, disciplines. And so under Lucas and the creative marketing services group, we have, we have the creative team, which is both design and brand. And so that's like the, all the website design, um, you know, email design, all the, anything kind of design creative related uh, is under that umbrella uh, and with, uh, with and then a brand sub group that's kind of focused on these like brand strategy projects, customer research, things like that. And then another discipline is the, the CRM team. Uh, we have client services, kind of the, the front facing part of our, uh, you know, uh, client uh, account management. Um, and then we also have the, the growth marketing team, which manages our page. So that's all under Lucas. And that way uh, we can integrate and make sure like, hey, 
CRM is talking to creative, creative is talking to growth and making sure their ads are good. And, and, and there's kind of cohesion there. So we've, we've solved that by you know, um, kind of restructuring it. And then on the uh, technology services group side, you have um, project management, which you know, kind of makes sure that the delivery of all the designs in, into the implementation side of things you know, gets uh, handled properly. And like, you know, the coordination with the different uh, engineers are good. We have solutions engineering, which is kind of, we have solutions architects there that are overseeing kind of, you know, they're feeling like scope request stuff. They're kind of doing the research, making sure, you know, like the approaches sound and, and, and they're recommending the right uh, steps. And then we have a software engineering team that's kind of doing all the web develop, the hard development. Um, we have a QA um, discipline as well. And then there's some like IT security stuff, you know, especially as like privacy kind of compliance things become uh, more important. Uh, that's all under WES as well. So it, it, it took some doing like, and it was like, you know, after, you know, kind of almost 15 years in the job, like it, it, we finally were like, hey, we, we, there's still murkiness around where the buck stops with some of these kind of responsibilities. So let's just map it all out. And, you know, between Seawook and myself, we've also been very clear on how we split our responsibilities. So, you know, as CEO, like I'm obviously, uh, you know, steering like vision and, and goals and just kind of setting the tone there. Uh, but uh, business development falls under me. Um, so I have a director of business development who reports to me and, and, and there's, we're working a lot there. And then the, the marketing function also falls under uh, my purview, just making sure that, hey, the barrel brand is out there. We're trying to, uh, you know, generating leads. Uh, and then Sewuk as COO and president, he's really, um, you know, overseeing the, the backbone, the, the business operations. So that's finance, HR, uh, you know, anything, all the legal risk compliance stuff um, and, and talent, uh, like the resourcing and the talent acquisition side of things. So he's, he's got a full plate there, uh, but clarity, we, we had clarity across the board. And, you know, like, it's not like I'm kind of dipping into QuickBooks and doing stuff. It's, it's we're, we're all kind of uh, really um, structured in that sense. And that's been helpful for, you know, just everyone owning what they need to own across the agency. So there's four four partners. I understand it, Viral, yep. and they, uh, are you guys all located in New York, or are you you're, you're all based across the country, right? Yeah, we yeah. Last year, when when the, when you know, kind of we went work from home uh, due to the pandemic, we we made the call then and there. We we're like, hey, let's go. Like we we've toyed with the idea, but like let's really commit to becoming a remote team first. Mm -hmm. Not this like we'll work from home for a while and then we'll go back and maybe it's a hybrid. We're just like, no, no, no. It's a remote first model, which means we're going to hire people anywhere that can work. And, you know, team meetings and all the things that we do are going to be done with the remote first uh, kind of structure in mind. Um, but, you know, we've kept our offices. Uh, we have an office in New York and in LA. And, you know, uh, the, the funny thing was like, you know, as we were thinking of ways to offload the office through like subleasing or whatever, trying to get out of our lease, um, more the, as as like kind of the vaccine started getting rolled out like the requests went from like trying to lowball us to being like hey uh we'll we'll pay you know we'll pay you whatever you guys are paying and just take the lease off your hands and we're like wait a second you know the next thing is going to be you know the price is going to go up and so we thought hey we have three years on the lease we just had invested a ton of money into like you know expanding taking up the whole floor and like putting a lot of work to make the space we want it to be and we're just like hey like we can still see a future where we bring the team, you know, together, you know, a couple times a year, or maybe departments do it once a quarter to like, you know, do these team building or kind of uh, collaboration exercises and, and clients still, you know, want to come by sometimes, you know, we have a lot of clients in the New York uh, area as well. Um, so we thought, hey, let's just bite the bullet. You know, we might only have like three or four people go into the office on a regular basis, but that's, that's okay. Like, let's, let's, let's do it because, you know, we're going to outgrow the cost of this anyway. 
that's good. That's healthy perspective. You know, with the with the four of you, you guys, you know, it's having four, four partners run an organization, I can imagine is hard. I know you guys do something interesting to say, you know, your quarterly, when we talked ahead of time, your quarterly conversations around, um, you have a unique way of staying on the same page, I guess, is the, the question I'm trying to ask. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, because between you and the operation sides, plus your other two leaders, it's hard to kind of especially remote, you know, you're across, you're bi-coastal, I guess, but it's, it's, you've solved this in a unique way to be able to stay on the same page and keep connected. You know, culture is something that comes up a lot in our podcast. How do people feel like they're part of a team? How do you feel like you're communicating, especially in the agency world? And especially as all of us move to these remote kind of establishments, I, you know, can you kind of uh, talk a little bit about this unique way that you guys have established it's working to keep you all on the same page. Yeah, um, you know, I think when it comes to culture, um, you know, one of the really important things is, um, you know, shared language and just making sure, you know, um, when people say a word or a term, um, you know, they're all, it's, they're saying the same things. Um, and I think without that basis, it's really hard to be on the same page. Um, and yeah, one way that we found uh, a great way to develop shared language over time is to uh, read together, read books together. Um, and you know, every quarter, uh, and this is a responsibility I, I just relish, I love it, um, is to just kind of curate a book that the, the partners uh, will read. Um, and then you know, the way we structure it is, uh, you know, we, we do have a, an all day, once a quarter, uh, the four of us. Um, and so leading up to that, you know, everyone's assigned the book, uh, they read it. Um, and, you know, we all take great notes. Um, and usually you have to come prepared with like, hey, what are the, you know, three or four kind of, you know, highlights or themes that, you know, that really resonated with you? Um, you know, what are some kind of applicable lessons from here on the business? Uh, and then there might be some other kind of more questions specific to the book itself. So, you know, come with that. And we spend a good, um, you know, hour to 90 minutes at the start of our session together, our all day session planning session, uh, talking about the book. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, put like a virtual whiteboard up and then we'll start putting post-its of like the themes that each person wants to kind of share. Uh, and then, you know, we can kind of group the ones that are similar. Um, also an opportunity to clarify oh, this, I thought it meant this. No, actually, I think, uh, you know, the book was talking about it this way. And so you can um, align in that way, just, you know, from having uh, done the reading because you, you realize people pick up different things when they read, uh, read the same book. Um, so- What kind of books do you guys uh, read usually? Is it business books or are they fiction, nonfiction? Yeah, reading? a lot of us started with like very um, kind of, you know, we say like relevant business books. Um, so, you know, I think- uh, there's an author, David Meister, who like the, uh, you know, wrote kind of things on like, um, on like professional services uh, mm -hmm. firms and how they should, uh, they, they might operate like managing the professional services firm, um, as well as like trusted advisor. Those are like classics that were really good. But then like, um, over time, like it's, it's actually went to be like, yeah, different uh, books on, uh, you know, culture, um, you know, actually a couple uh, quarters ago, we read a book about it's, it's called playing with movement. It's just about, um, the body and like the physical kind of like it was like a really cool look at like the a systems thinking way of looking at the body and like how hey like why is movement so important uh to like keeping a healthy body the dynamics at play 
and you know, we thought it was a great metaphor for a business because it's like, hey, like there's so many things where you're trying to treat like a symptom, but really there's an underlying uh, root cause that's uh, you know kind of leading to your your pain issues or whatever. And the best way to do it, fix it, is just you know go for a walk, you know, like get your body moving instead of you know trying to you know take a painkiller or just kind of do a the very targeted uh, uh, therapeutic uh, way. Uh, so anyway, like we've we've we try to broaden the horizon, you know, uh, you know, another book we read was just like, uh, uh, you know, books about kind of like recruitment and hiring. Um, we did one, uh, you know, there was one, um, I mean, my favorite all time book uh, is called The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge. Um, and um, it's, you know, I've written about it on my blog a lot. And, it, you know, it, that book really opened my eyes to like systems thinking in general. Uh, but uh, just this, you know, th- th- there's so many concepts in there that I just see every single day at play in, in, in life and in business and just any, any kind of, you know, just uh, facets of life. And, and that, that we, I think if of all the things that, you know, of all the books we've ever read, like probably reference that, like, it, you know, at least once a week, if not more, and it's just a, a constant uh, presence. Uh, but, but the others have been really great as well. I mean, just, you know, thinking about uh, one of the more recent books uh, and everyone culture, which, uh, you know, like, which talks about like deliberately developmental organizations and like, you know, what, what does it mean to have an organization where, you know, people uh, feel super safe to give each other like really honest feedback. And then like, where, you know, it's not about, um, you know, just kind of leaning into your strengths, but actually proactively identifying your weaknesses openly in front of everyone and working on it constantly. Yeah. I mean, that's like super scary. And it's like one of those kinds, you know, like, oh my God, like that can't happen here. But like, it opens up our minds to like, what's possible. Have you tried it? Uh, Yeah. I mean, within ourselves, like, absolutely. Like, you know, and part of inspired by that book, actually, we had our partner quarterly meeting last Thursday. uh, And and there's an exercise in there called the immunity to change map, where you come with this whole kind of like map that you draw out of like uh, your most like uh, important, like improvement area. And you go into like the specifics of like, hey, if I'm being honest with myself, I am, you know, like, and it's basically you identify your weakness, right? And you go like, hey, these are the things I'm doing to reinforce my weakness. This is probably the fears I have deep down on why I behave this way. And these are the assumptions I hold about, you know, myself and the world that reinforces it. And oh my God, it's like emotionally like, you know, in some ways, gut wrenching, gut punching. Actually, it's like you sometimes when you're filling out the fears box uh, of this map, like you know, it's it's very emotional and like you know, it's it's like you have to you know you have to really be vulnerable for this. And and thankfully, like you know, our, our partnership team is is you know we, we trust each other. We, we you know we 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 want the best for each other, and and that's allowed us a safe space to talk about these things. And so you know. There were some share uh, tear shed and you know just like just some things that we could honestly get off our chests or just kind of talk about and yeah that was really awesome in terms of like how that book was able to inspire that. It's such a creative way to stay connected, especially as you made the decision to not be physically together. Um, I think this is the first, and of all the folks that we've talked to, you know, probably one of the most unique and it sounds like particularly successful ways. Um, to stay connected, have you thought about or tried expanding it to a larger team and doing like a company-wide? I've been at companies that have tried doing, you know, a book, like everyone was required over a quarter to read a book and then 150 person company having a discussion isn't the most effective thing on the planet, but 
you know, if it's something that you guys have explored doing, you know, expanding it to a larger team, or are you kind of like, man, we're just going to keep this one to ourselves and we'll figure something else out? Yeah. Um, you know, one thing, um, so different kind of like groups within our, our, um, our team have tried, you know, different reading uh, exercises together, group kind of like book clubs and, and things like that. Um, you know, I, I'll strategically kind of share different books with, uh, you know, different people to kind of make sure we can align on shared language and such. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do that a lot with our, uh, you know, with our uh, head of business development, where he and I will read a couple things together and be like, hey, look, like, these are the concepts that we're talking about now. And like, this, we should try X, Y, Z things. Um, so, yeah, you know, at the, at, at the company-wide level, um, we'll, you know, we might encourage books and like, we might share things, you know, like, like I think, you know, last year, you know, um, especially just kind of around their discussions around social justice and uh, BLM, like we, we, we did send everyone a copy of Just Mercy and just kind of, you know, had some space for, you know, folks to kind of talk about those things. Um, so, you know, like there, there might be uh, opportunities like that, but yeah, really like the thing with books is like, you need that kind of like hardcore commitment from a small group to like dive into it and read it with the rigor. Cause it, you know, all it takes is one person just kind of you know, half-assed reading it to like spoil the discussion or mm-hmm. just kind of be disengaged. So I think, you know, in many ways, like we've kept it small on purpose because that's how you get maximum impact. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about successes and growth and how you've gotten to be where you are. I'd love to talk and spend a few minutes discussing some of the challenges in getting to where you are, you know, as an agency owner, maybe this is, I love this question. It's so awkward to ask though, you know, what was the biggest mistake that you feel like you've made so far in what you've done? Is that something you would be willing to share and talk about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I don't really think about, you know, kind of isolated mistakes or incidents or things like that as like, um, as what's holding back because, you know, and, I was thinking it's kind of like the uh, the systems thinking thing. I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's like once you, it's almost like a veil being lifted, <laughs> where you, once totally. you kind of see see that, you're just like, okay, like there, you know, there were some underlying dynamics at play that led to you know certain things not working the way that we thought could work. Um, and and so you know, if I was to kind of pinpoint certain things, though, I, I'd say, look, like you know, the number one thing uh, that probably held uh, held us back was just probably like you know, just me as a person, like just not being mature or just like, you know, kind of taking a while to kind of get to a place where, you know, I was fully kind of committed, dedicated, and, you know, had the right mindset, had the right attitude, um, had the right kind of, you know, kind of outlook on things. Cause I, you know, I think, you know, there was, there were years where it's like, you know, the mindset was a lot of like, oh, you know, why is this happening to me? Or, oh, like, you know, why is so-and-so not doing what, you know, what they should be or, Oh, like, you know, um, you know, that's, that's impossible. I, you know, I can't, you know, I can't figure that out myself. So forget it. Or, you know, just like a lot of things or, Oh, I don't want to deal with that confrontation. Um, or, Oh, I'm just too tired to do this. Like, it's like so many things that are just like piled Uh on excuses and, you know, just it's that mindset shift and really, you know, just through, you know, just kind of personally committing myself to like learning, reading, um, you know, just like, I do try to make a commitment to like, you know, be as, you know, um, you know, get through as many books and just kind of like expose myself to new things every year. And then also just building like a better, like, you know, life habits, uh, you know, just uh, like sleep, exercise, and like just diet, like have become like top of mind, uh, 
You know, I'm like, Hey, without those things in place, like I can't be my best self at work and I can't focus and like do the hard thing. So like, I, I actually got to prioritize all of that first. Like, you know, I got to make time for exercise and, you know, just get my sleep in. Otherwise, you know, all that stuff that I need to do, uh, you know, won't get done at the level I need to. So, you know, just, it's just figuring those and getting those pieces in place. I say, if, if there was a mistake, it's probably just like not having figured that out sooner and like that it happens so late, but you know, it's always like better late than never. And, you know, it's I've reaped a lot of upside uh, since I kind of committed myself that way. Uh, and so, yeah, that's and at the end of the day, that's, you know, part of leadership. The biggest part of it is like just modeling. If you model, you know, if you take care of, like, if you do the things that you think are important and, and, and the, live the values that you say are important, like the rest of it starts to take care of itself versus, you know, just going around and trying to talk about it. Can I go back to that discussion on um, how COVID has impacted how you have decided to go remote first? When you go remote, I'm assuming you're going everywhere. You, you, you mentioned that you would find talent wherever they can work and whoever, as long as they are good fit. Um, how, have you, how are you thinking that trend is changing for your company? Uh, I know remote first, but then does that open the doors for you to go out in other countries to find talent because in many agencies like you that we have spoken to before covid they're all mostly in-house at the office work together from one location covid has changed that mindset they have started going out now to other countries nearshoring offshoring contracting they are working on all the models so for you for barrel has that model changed at all or you are still um, figuring that out. What what are your thoughts and you know planning around that? Yeah, I'd say um, even part of COVID. Uh, you know, part of why we were kind of entertaining remote first was, you know, especially um, on the uh, technology side of things, where we're working with our different uh, you know developers. We we were working more um, with folks. Uh, you know, outside the country. So, you know, we had folks in Europe and, you know, in Africa and Asia, like just, you know, um, and some were contractors, some were kind of, you know, uh, offshore resources and we were starting to leverage them more and more. And like, you know, saw a lot of benefit from that too. It was just like, hey, this is great, but there's challenges as well, time zone. And like, you know, you have to kind of adopt some new ways of working. Um, but but we're like, this is, this is the future anyway. Like, you know, there's going to be certain, um, you know, there's talent, and just kind of like the, the 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 cost advantages and a lot of different you know ways to to scale uh, are going to be super important. So we we really have to uh, you know um, embrace that. Um, so I'd say you know right now like yeah, there's the you know I think when it comes to like client facing and like you know there's a um, and project management or even design where there's a lot of like uh, kind of you need those kind of hours that overlap for meetings. Um, that's probably the main limitation of like hiring within certain time zones. Um, but, you know, that's to say like we have ambitions to be, you know, have more clients globally. Uh, you know, we do have clients, you know, uh, that are from outside the country, but like, you know, let's say we do have, if we get more clients in Asia or in, you know, Australia or wherever, it's like, yeah, you'd want some client-facing folks based out there. And so, you know, like if that happens, cool, like we'll, we'll we're with it. Um, we're not shutting the door on that. And, and, and in fact, we welcome it. It'd be pretty interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, like 
we're fully committed to like remote first um, and and with the potential for it to go super international and get global. Okay, so you're, what I'm hearing is there are two parts of your operations that you're thinking. One from the delivery standpoint, which you have been already doing even pre-COVID that you have been going out, you have been working with people around the globe from execution perspective, but from growth perspective as well, you are thinking of expanding and going in different countries to you know, acquire more clients and having client facing people. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, um, a part of it is gonna be that, but then I think other things are like, hey, if our clients, existing clients, you know, as they kind of scale and like go have more needs internationally as well. Like, can we be there to support that? So yeah, it's, it's a bit of both, like, you know, from the acquisition side, but also just supporting existing clients as they, as they scale up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the time zone difference that you mentioned, I think that's, that, that's definitely uh, a bigger challenge, but I think as more and more people are getting more accustomed to the idea of remote, I think, uh, even clients are getting more accustomed to the idea of, you know, people are working in different time zones. So they kind of, you know, accept the fact that some people will be working in different hours. So makes sense. Um, As you're thinking about the future, you know, as you're expanding, telling a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about what some of your goals are. Where are you, where do you see Barrel headed in the near future? You said global was an option, you know, what else you got cooking? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, this has been top of mind because we, you know, we are celebrating our like 15 years in, in a few weeks. Um, and Congrats. You know, thank you. And, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, kind of, uh, things kind of plan to share. We've been sharing some things with the team and, uh, and, you know, I think um, it was really kind of laying out like a five-year plan um, that we're, we're really eager to, um, I mean, we're already starting towards it. Um, and part of it is, you know, obviously we want to grow um, uh, and, you know, we have some like revenue targets. We have some like kind of profitability targets and, and, you know, we, we also want to uh, make sure like, you know, I think, the, the kind of vision is like, hey, like we're, we're committed to like this direct to consumer, um, you know, experience, uh, you know, just kind of helping brands really uh, be the best they can be uh, with the direct to consumer experience. How can we become, you know, kind of recognized and, you know, just really live as like global leaders and in, in, in especially that, just be known for that. And, and we have a lot of different kind of ideas on how we think we can get there. But uh, a lot, of, but I think really what's in store is, addressing first and foremost, like the things that are kind of holding us back. Um, and, you know, it starts uh, off first and foremost, I think with like on the, um, on the, on the business development side. And I think, you know, the things that have traditionally kind of made it difficult, uh, you know, as an agency business is, you know, like saying yes to the wrong things, uh, you know, just like, and, and you know, in, at, in the moment, uh, you know, you, you can rationalize almost anything you go, Oh yeah. Like that sounds like we can just, you know, make a quick buck uh, or two, yeah, we'll get it done in a couple of months. You know, like just, you, you may, you, you might rationalize these things and you go, okay, um, it might not be as strict with your qualification, but then over time, these things can compound and just, you know, kind of send you off the wrong path. So we've become very um, committed to, you know, just sticking with our, you know, just our, our, our business qualification process of like, hey, let's score every single lead that comes in, make sure they kind of hit a certain threshold. And then let's sh make sure the conditions in which we can do this project are such that our team can deliver our best work. 
took a long time to get there. Cause like, you know, like I said, if you're running, especially a small business, you're always thinking about, Hey, like, uh, you know, is there enough money coming in? There's a pipeline full, all those things. And, and you kind of make compromises. Um, but I think we're in a position, um, especially having built out like, you know, some really great kind of recurring retainer revenue clients and, and, and just having some base there. And, and, and if we can really crack kind of some of the side of uh, the marketing side of things, as well as like kind of maybe some outbound, like, um, you know, the, the business development campaigns, I think that's going to put us in a position to be even more uh, picky about the work that we choose and, and, and kind of control our destiny that way. So that's top of mind. If we can do that, I think we're going to kind of really get to hit our goals and then and, and grow. Um, and then the other parts are just like, how do we go provide even deeper expertise and depth in, in the services that we have? Like, for example, CRM is something that we think there's incredible amount of potential, you know, especially, you know, if you're going direct to consumer, you want to own the relationships, you want to own all the data on your customers and, you know, not have to rely on the Facebooks and Googles of the world uh, for that. And so how can we go, you know, not just beyond sending emails, but, you know, really kind of owning like, you know, the, the data, uh, content data platforms, uh, I mean, the customer data platforms, as well as like the, you know, going, getting sophisticated on the automations and segmentations. Um, so very excited about what we can do uh, with that. Um, and then just the, the last bit is like, yeah, like the, the structure of the company. And like, one thing that we're really keen on is like, hey, how do we build uh, the infrastructure to uh, consistently produce great leaders, uh, you know, for tomorrow for our team? Because, you know, we've been fortunate, you know, the two partners that we have, Wes and Lucas, they came up through the ranks. Like they were hired as just, you know, a designer, a dev. And, you know, we were so lucky. They were just, you know, so great at just, you know, taking on more responsibilities and organically kind of became these amazing leaders. Uh, so, so instead of leaving it to chance and luck, uh, you know, how can we have a well-structured management training program where, you know, the, the, the designer, the, the junior designer of today, you know, maybe they have some amazing interpersonal skills and they have a desire to really kind of become a great manager, kind of giving them the, the path to do that within our company. And look, it doesn't matter if they end up staying or not, because obviously we'd love to, for them to stay and, you know, contribute, but, you know, really this is going to be good for the barrel brand as well, because the, these folks, they might go on to work at like a, a startup or a tech company and just make, have great impact there. And, and, and part of that will be because we played a, a part in the development. So I think those are the things that we're really excited and keen on uh, to develop in the coming years. How, how are you approaching growth? I mean, you have mentioned about um, the challenges and things that, you know, keep you up at night, but how, so you have, how big are you right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, big as in what? Cause like, you know, we can employees. talk about headcount and um, revenue. Because, guys. Yeah. So yeah, we're, you know, I say like 30, was it like 35 to 37 full time right now? But like, I, I always find that like such a, you know, kind of silly way to look at size um, because you can have, you know, hundreds of people at a much lower cost basis. If you're structured differently with resources, different places, you can have very few people, with super high costs, like, you know, the gray hairs or whatever. And then that's, that's a different and a, a different you know, kind of structure as well. Um, or you could have a completely kind of like a 1099 model um, where you have no full-time and uh, you know, still do the work of a, you know, 500 person agency. So, you know, I, I'm like, I, I like to talk more like rev numbers and stuff. And, and so, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're sub 10 mil um, and like, you know uh, but I think we'll, 
get there sooner than later. Um, and, and so that's, I think that's more proxy for size, to be honest, like in terms of stage of the company. Yeah, yes, sure. That, that makes sense. I guess I, I was, the, the question I was trying to understand was, where do you see yourself going? How large do you want to become? It took you 15 years to get here, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, so when your listeners, like when they think about growth, they are mostly smaller agencies, you know, one, two, three, five million. And they are thinking about going big, growing their agency. How do you approach, like, you know, what would you advise them when they think about growth for themselves? Like what to look for? I mean, one is, of course, what do they want personally, but from agencies business, right? From, from business perspectives, what, what should what should they be looking for how you know what challenges may come across how do you solve them how what what to look for yeah when it comes to growth i don't <laughs> you know i, I i'd be um I'd be lying to say if I knew the answer, just because like it's taken us this long to get to where we are, and I, I just feel like, hey, like this took a long time, and I just feel like you know, it could have happened a lot faster. Um, uh, so, you know, I think from where I sit today, right, and I think where, you know, uh, when I think about growth, um, it really, there's like, there's growth that's sustainable and meaningful. And then there's this growth that like just shows up on the rev numbers, but then it's, it's kind of deceiving. So what I mean by that is like, and this is, I've kind of written about in the past where there's like kind of like healthy or just kind of like um, good revenue versus bad revenue. I think, uh, you know, and, and um, so I think if you have, and by good revenue, what I mean is like, it's, it's the type of, um, you know, you've landed engagements and you've kind of done work that like set you up to get that work at a lower cost next and do it at a higher margin next. And also to build your portfolio in a way that's like easier to land business next. So if, you, if, if, if you execute in that and have the discipline to do it there and then avoid bad revenue, which might be hey, it's a quick buck right now. You might make good, you might even make good margins, but there's a short-term aspect to it. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't um, kind of accrue value over time. And, and it's like a one and done thing. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's like it, it, that, that portfolio piece doesn't fit in with the rest of the stuff. So it doesn't, it looks like a one-off and you don't feel, you don't look like an expert for having done it. Um, if you do too many of those, which we certainly have, it's, it's going to slow down your, your growth over a longer period of time. So, I think it's more, um, you know, if, if there is any advice at all that I can dispense on, this would be like, hey, like taking a long-term perspective on growth, as in, you know, just what are the what are the hard decisions and the things that you have to do now, so that if if you're looking back in two to three years, those were the decisions that kind of built things up and and kind of almost had a compounding effect, versus the stuff that you know might have given you good numbers for that year, but you know, you know, ultimately it was like you didn't land that one-off thing the next year and you just had nothing to show for. So I'd say maybe that's kind of my takeaway there. That's a great insight. I, I love that. I mean, the way to think about growth, you know, don't look at the bigger numbers, but think about how you can be more efficient, more profitability, you know, choosing the right projects and just guide you through the right channel. So and, and how it fits your niche, you know, and how it serves your, your target niche as well. Um, so, well, this is an insightful conversation today, Peter, thank you so much for joining us and, and 
answering all of our multitude of questions and providing some insight. So uh, for folks listening, where you can find Peter is on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, barrelny.com as we discussed earlier, <laughs> unfortunately. And then your personal website for, you know, we didn't talk about that at all, but you're a pretty prolific blogger on there, peterkang.com. So thanks so much. It was a, a pleasure. And it's, uh, that's it, everybody. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about the podcast. Until next time, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.